So I, at, at the beginning of last service, I started out with a question. I'm going I'm to do the same thing here. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Philippians from now all the way through Palm Sunday. That's going to be a good, long look. If you're not used to bringing your Bible to church with you on Sunday morning, I would really encourage you to do that because we're, we're going to go as slow as we can to get the whole uh, four chapters in in that amount of time. I wish that we had about three times that much time, but, but we don't. And, and the reason we're going to look at Philippians is, is basically two things. One of them is it talks about how it is that we can live as disciples of Jesus. And the second thing, the whole book is about joy. It's about Paul's joy. So I, I kind of want to know the company that I'm keeping this morning. Anybody here that is just absolutely overflowing with joy, you don't know what to do with it all, you've got so much, the same person as last time. we got two this time. we got two people overflowing with joy, three people overflowing with joy. You need to tell us your secret. How many of you people feel like the one thing you are lacking in life is joy. Because I didn't ask that last time, and people said, I wish you would have asked the other one. Anybody want to admit that? No. Uh, maybe a few. We're going to talk about joy and why it is that as Christians, we have this unending source of joy in Jesus. That's really what the book of Philippians is about. And it's going to be a serious one. There's going to be times that are going to feel a little bit heavy. Some of it's going to be fun and it's going to be real light, but it's just an awesome, awesome look at this early church in the New Testament. And so let's start where we are. This is the first Sunday of the new year. This is the first Sunday that is not 2020. Right? Whoever thought we'd say that, but we're, we're saying the first time that it's not 2020. Now, th that being said, um, that alone is enough reason to celebrate. But we know going into 21, there's some things that we're aware of this year that we didn't know at this time last year. COVID is a reality. That thing was sneaking up on us in March. We had no idea. But now we know that it's here. There's no surprises there. The other thing is, you know what, there's no surprise that a good portion of our country is in turmoil. Whether it's politics or media or the division that's happening or, or the stuff that's going on in different cities. And the one thing that we know for sure, sure is that truth and integrity seem to be in very short supply in understanding the reality of our country. But that doesn't mean that we can't be people of joy because we know that God is still on his throne. God is still on his throne this first Sunday of 2021. And, and what we don't need, we don't need a new president to fix everything. We don't need another government policy or extra government policy or to get rid of government policy. We, we don't need a handout. What we need is Jesus. Can I get an amen? Because so often in the church, we get sucked into talking all about politics and division and all this other stuff when what we need to be talking about is Jesus and the cross and what it means to us. So not only do we need Jesus, we need more Jesus. Can I get a louder amen? amen. We need more Jesus, so we're going to talk about that. We need a lot more Christians that are willing to be on their knees praying for our churches and our people and our country. And we'd all agree about this stuff, but so often when it comes to a Sunday morning, it just isn't what we talk about. And so the whole point of Philippians is that we need Jesus and we need more of them. And we as Christians need to be joyful people of prayer. Why do we need Jesus? Because with Jesus comes peace and joy and right priorities. When you are right with Jesus, when you've got a relationship with Jesus that God created you for and sent Jesus 
to die for your sins that you can have. When you've got that relationship, right priorities begin to take over. And so today, we're going to start an in-depth look at the New Testament book of Philippians. And what I want you personally all to be thinking about is, is the reason that I wanted to choose it is because it, it talks to us about how we can follow Jesus. How we can be disciples of Jesus and how it is that we can have joy in that journey. And so often what's lacking with Christians is joy. Some of the grumpiest people I run across are Christians and I think, what's the point? Let's not be those Christians. Let's be Christians who are truly following Jesus and who are filled and live in joy. And Philippians is going to help us understand that. Paul wrote this letter to the young church in a place called Philippi. If you've ever heard the word epistle thrown around church circles, epistle is, is kind of a translation of the Greek word that means letter. It's a letter. Paul wrote a lot of letters, and much of the New Testament is the re- recorded history of those letters that has been included in the Bible. This one has been referenced by all kinds of the early church leaders, this letter to Philippi. It was a, a very important letter that was written. And what you're going to hear is that Paul has this deep, abiding love and affection for the people of this church. And the reason is very simple. Because in all of Paul's missionary journeys, in all of his travels, in all the things that happened, this was the first church that he started. This was number one. This is his child. This was his baby. I can relate to the affection that Paul feels, not just for the church, because that's just kind of a word, but for the people who make up the church. Paul knows them. He, he, as we go on, he's going to identify a number of them very specifically and personally. And, and there's a wonderful affection that he has. And I get that. I understand that. It's fun to be able to understand and to know a church that you've planted in that way. And we get an insight into Paul's life like that. But where's Philippi? Let's take a look at a map here. Philippi is a place that you're probably not familiar with in the normal course of your life. And so this is a zoomed in area. Greece, kind of the southern end of Europe, right there on the left. Corinth, which is talked about a lot. First and second Corinthians. Paul wrote those. Uh, Athens, if you've ever been there. Turkey. And so the, the area in yellow and Istanbul are in Turkey. That begins the, the area of Asia is what we talk about in the Bible. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But Philippi is there just north of the coast on a huge Roman road. And that becomes important because Philippi sits on this incredibly significant way of moving between Asia and what we now know as Europe. It's a very strategic point. It's known as a Roman colony. Uh, A lot of retired military from the Roman army would go there because life was a little bit slower. It was a little bit more the country. They could relax. Uh, But it was still a very, very strategic point. Those people that lived there understood themselves in all ways to be Roman. They understood themselves to be Roman in their dress, in their diet, in in the culture, in the celebrations, in the the way that they would uh, look to have fun, and, and also in their religion. They fiercely opposed anyone that would come in and challenge any of those things. And so the fact that Paul went there in the first place was pretty impressive because it wasn't like they were looking for someone to plant a Christian church. But when he arrived, which is a really, really cool thing that's talked about in a different part of the New Testament, because of this road and because of how significant it was as a thoroughfare, it really marked the introduction of the Christian church to Europe. It, it started where it began in the Middle East and it began to grow. And then because of Philippi, the Christian church moved its way into Europe. As you can imagine, and I say this without trying to laugh out loud, 
Planting a church is not all smooth sailing. There's bumps along the way, but you know what? None of those bumps takes away the joy that Paul has in writing this letter to this church. If you want to read more about the Holy, how the Holy Spirit brought this whole thing about, uh, it's in Acts 16, the, the first part of Acts 16, 1 to 40. Fantastic uh, memory and fantastic telling of how this happened. Basically, Paul was intending to go to Asia. He wanted to bring the Christian church to Asia. And the Bible says the Spirit of Jesus prevented him from doing so and brought him to Philippi, which Paul probably would have thought, I I don't want to go back there. They're Romans. I know Romans. I want to go to a different bunch of people. But it was important that he go there. And so he was faithful. He followed God's will. He followed the lead. And what the Bible talks about is Macedonia. Well, Philippi is in this region called Macedonia. Interesting. Paul plants this church. This church flourishes. It's small. It does never get tremendously large because of the Roman culture. But in 619, an earthquake hits, and it wipes out the city of Philippi, basically to the point that they didn't rebuild it. They, they rebuilt it somewhere else because of the damage. And today, in that area, there's really no Christian church. There aren't any Christians. This incredible start that they had, there aren't any Christians at all. And so I look, and there's an area a little bit a ways away from this. There's these seven letters that are written to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And one of them, all of them are important for us, but one of them I think is especially important when we consider the beginning of this church in Philippi, but also when we think about it for how it is and and what it says to us as the open door. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. A lot of people are afraid of the book of Revelation. Here's what it's about. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending an angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Even to all that he saw, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Basically what he's saying is this book is something worth paying attention to. It's brought to John as a revelation by an angel, It is a prophecy of things to come, and it's all about Jesus Christ. Should you be scared of the book of Revelation? Nope, it's all about the revelation of Jesus. Here's the one we need to pay attention to. Revelation 3, chapter 3. This is to the church in Sardis. I know your works, the angel said. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Why is that important? That's a timely reminder because apparently the church in Philippi uh, didn't do that, just like it was addressed to this church in Sardis. It, it, It didn't do that, and there's no Christian presence today there at all. And so what does that mean to us? That means we need to be careful that that. Maybe there's this reputation for being alive, but we've got to be careful that we're not dead. We've got to make sure that we guard what really, really matters. See, it's something different to have a reputation for being alive. That's what people say about you. And actually living for God, that's who and what you are. We as a church need to heed this warning and say, let's not make sure we we care what people say about it. Let's make sure we care what God sees in us. Not that we have a reputation for being alive. That's great, but it's very different to live for God. And we want to make sure that we live for God. We've got this day coming up, January 6th, which most every four years, most of the time just passes with really without much attention to it at all. This year, January 6th, is the certification of the presidential election. If you've not been living under a rock, there's been a lot of noise about this recently. 
You've heard what the media has to say about it, and whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, a conspiracy believer or a mocker, uh, this is a big day, and as Christians, we need to be on our knees about this one. We need to repent, and we need to, we need to acknowledge that we are a part of a nation that has turned from God and run God out of every part of our public life, and we need to ask God to be merciful and forgiving, him, even though we've told him that we want nothing to do with him. See, this warning from Revelation may as well have been written to us today and to the church in America today, and that's what we have to pay attention to. So with that as a backdrop to the church in Philippi that no longer exists and that there are no Christians anymore, that's not what we want to be our history. Let's dive into the book of Philippians, starting in Philippians first 1, chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. The real word here is the Greek word for slave. This is one of those times that the Bible can be really offensive to our ears. And if you have read the Bible and not been offended, you haven't read it very carefully. Because what the Bible does is reminds us of who God is and who we are. And if we were good enough on our own, we would have ever needed Jesus. But the fact is, we do need Jesus. And so Jesus came and lived and died for the forgiveness of our sins. And the Bible can be offensive, especially to the non-believing world. Because the non-believing world takes the words and they pull them completely out of context. But this word that Paul used, servants, it's really better translated as slaves. But that's an offensive word. Why would Paul call himself a slave? Actually, when Paul writes this, he's actually in chains for having preached the gospel. He's in chains in a Roman prison waiting to see the emperor to be tried because he preached the gospel. So what does it mean to be a slave for Christ? Well, historically speaking, and slavery has been a reality all over our world for centuries. That doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's good because it isn't right and it isn't good, but it is a reality. And to be a slave literally means that you are the property of someone else. The slave is the property of the owner or the master. And the slave has to do the will and the bidding of the master without having any any personal regard for their own will or want. See, the will of the slave belongs to the master, and the slave does what the master wants. Paul uses this word very carefully because when he calls himself a slave, his will has been given to Jesus. Paul is so totally, totally sold out for the gospel that he considers himself a slave for Jesus. What Paul wants doesn't matter anymore. Because all that Paul wants is to do whatever it is that Jesus wants for him, even if that means being held in chains in a Roman jail, awaiting an appearance before the emperor that likely will not go well, Paul still rejoices. Because if that's where Jesus wants him, that's where he wants to be. So Paul says, I'm going to proclaim the gospel even if it's from a jail cell. Talk about somebody who's clear on his call for God. You want more joy in the new year. Be thankful for what you have. Even if it isn't something that you want, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you consider yourself a servant or a disciple of his, then where you are and what's going on is where God wants you. And so we give thanks for that. So my question, Paul is clear on his call. My call for you is, what is your call? What is your ministry? What is the thing that God has created you to do and to bring to his church that makes his church better? It doesn't make you better, but it makes his church better. What builds up the church? What is your call in ministry? And are you living in the ministry God has called you to? We had a group of uh, missionaries that went to Philippines a couple of years ago, and that's the question they asked. 
They didn't ask them about their jobs or their family or all that kind of stuff. That was small talk later. When they were on talking as a group, they said, what's your ministry? And I think our ladies were all just kind of shocked by that question. I would have been. So what's your answer? What is your ministry? What is the thing that God has gifted and called and created you to do? And maybe you're going, that's a really good question. I have no idea what it is. Well, you know, your, your ministry goes in line with your passion. It goes in line with your spiritual gifts. It goes in line with the things that you can do that maybe other people out there don't do as easily or find as much joy in. But if you don't know what your ministry is and you, you aren't doing it, whether this is your church or you've got another church, let me tell you, as the senior pastor of this church, your church needs you to be doing your ministry. Because God brings people to a place, and in those people, he provides all the financial resources and all the skills, talents, and abilities for that church to do and become everything that God created it to be. So what's your ministry, and are you living it out? If you don't know, man, we got people on our staff team that would love to talk to you about it. See, but here's the one thing. One thing that I've observed in my life, and I absolutely believe this is true, and so you want to talk about offensive, maybe this is going to be offensive. I wholeheartedly believe... That whether we choose it or not, all of us are going to end up being a slave to something or someone. We willingly give our life, our time, our money, our thoughts, our mind, our heart to something or someone, and we become a slave to that thing. That's the thing that we end up living for. We submit our lives to that thing. Maybe it's for you, it's work. Maybe it's a, a, a relationship. Maybe it's the idea of success or finances. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs. Maybe it's the idea of religion, that it has to be this way. Or maybe it's Jesus. But all of us give our lives to something. We, 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 we give everything that we are to something. And we become a slave to that thing. And, and so what Paul would say is, become a slave to Jesus. And the other thing that Paul does in this opening greeting is he talks about Timothy. And Timothy isn't just a partner. He refers to him as that, but he refers to the whole church later as a partner. He introduces the idea that ministry isn't done in alone, alone. It isn't done all by ourselves. In fact, Paul and Timothy are disciples. Timothy is a disciple of Paul's. And, and so he's modeling and he's, he's making a statement about the importance of personal discipleship. So it goes on and he says, So all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, who are saints? Saints are people who have submitted their lives to Jesus, who say, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to be a disciple, Jesus. Thank you for the free gift of your salvation that you offer to me without cost in the death and the resurrection on the cross for me. And I'm going to live for you. And now the Bible says that we become a saint. We continue to sin, but God sees us now through the eyes of Jesus, our Savior. And that's who he's talking about. Maybe right now you're going, wow, I'm, I'm not a saint. I'm still just a sinner. You know, accepting that free gift is the easiest thing in the world. Living it becomes one of the most difficult things you'll ever do. So maybe today, right now, here is the day that you realize and recognize that you've given your life to something that you don't want to have control over you anymore. Maybe your life has gone to something, whether you actually thought about it or not, and you realize that your, your whole being is going in a direction that's being taken over by one thing or one person, and you want to reclaim it. Jesus' death on the cross for your sins is exactly what that's all about, is that he forgives our sins. He, he, he takes away all of the wants and all the desires for that stuff if we're willing to focus on him. And, and that's salvation. In, in Jesus' resurrection, our sins are forgiven. We're saved for all eternity, and we get to focus 
on what we were really created for, and that's a relationship with Jesus. And when we do that, we're no longer considered a sinner. We're considered a saint. We're considered holy not because of who we are or what we do, but because of Jesus in us. That's who Paul is talking to. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So then the question is this. What do you want to make of 2021? It's the first Sunday. Paul starts out with this thing that's so easy to pass over, and it, it, it maybe doesn't mean anything to you the moment you read it. But the first Sunday of 2021, what do you want to define this year? What do you want to define you? Who do you want to be? He says, grace and peace to you. Do you want 2021 to be a year of grace and peace and joy in Jesus? See, it's one thing to say, yep, that's what I want. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to name it and claim it. But then you've got to do one other thing. You've got to make him your highest priority. You can't make Jesus an afterthought. Jesus has to be the thing that you want in your life more than anything else. See, by doing that, by, by allowing God to take his rightful place in our lives, the rightful place that he deserves, our, our perspective begins to change. The way that we see the world and the people around us begins to change. Your priorities begin to change. Your attitude begins to change. The way that you perceive and live through situations all begins to change because what happens is as you're living for Jesus, you are living for what matters most to God. And what matters most to God is people. You, but the people around you as well. And until we submit our lives to Jesus, we're never going to understand that if you want 2021 to be a year of grace and peace and joy, then make God your highest priority. He goes on and he says, I thank God in all of my remembrance of you. He knows these folks personally. He's been there with them. He, he knows their names. He knows about their lives. He knows about their families. And he gives thanks as he thinks about them. You've heard about that biblical command. I've talked about it from before. First uh, Timothy 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. doesn't mean you have to like them. doesn't mean you have to be thankful. You want to do God's will in a moment? Say thank you. You don't even have to like it. You don't have to understand it. God's will is that we give thanks in all circumstances, not just the ones we like, not the ones that feel good, not the ones that we were hoping or praying for, but in everything. See, if you want to make a resolution for the new year, here's one for you. I did this a number of years ago. I'm still working on it. Make the resolution of creating the discipline in your heart and mind to give thanks in all things. Doesn't matter what the thing is. Give thanks in all things. And believe me when I tell you, it is a discipline. Because we think giving thanks and being thankful are the same thing. There's a lot of things that you'll say thanks for that you're not thankful for. But say thanks in all things. Make it a discipline in all circumstances. Just say thank you to God for absolutely everything, whether you like it or whether you not, whether not. Whether it's pleasant or whether it is not pleasant. See, you want to know that you're doing God's will for your life? If you want to know that you're living in a place of joy, this command says that this is God's command for you in Christ Jesus, that you give thanks in all circumstances. If you start to do that, you're going to realize very quickly that there is good and even joy in the most unpleasant circumstances. And even more important, you realize that everything in your life is in God's hands. You might not understand it all. You might not like it all. But the moment you say thanks, you let go of all of that and you can start living in joy. And that sounds absolutely ridiculous until you begin to do it. So let me give you some examples. How about this? You, you made the decision. It's a little chilly. You got other things you want to do. Nobody's serving brunch this morning because we live in the great state of Minnesota. So you decide you're going to get up and go to church. You get out to the car and the car won't start. Thank you, God. 
Why in the world would you say thank you for the car not starting? It started every time for 11 months, right? Well, you say, thank you, God. I don't understand this. I don't like it. I really did want to go to church today. Well, maybe God's got something different. You don't know. Maybe God's got something, something other somewhere that you need to be. Maybe you just need to say thank you that you've even got a car that doesn't start. Say thank you in all circumstances. How about you say thank you for your job, even if you don't like it? How about you say thank you, thank you if you lose your job and you don't know what you're going to do? Say thank you that you had one and that, that you're praying that God has another one waiting for you. How about you say thank you when you get a paycheck because now you've got money to live on and you get an opportunity to tie it to your church? Another thing that God says pleases him. Think of the ways that you can start saying thank you when you take things for granted or we make them about us and we start getting grumbly. How about say thank you when an opportunity to volunteer at church presents itself? How about you say thank you that God is still on his throne even though you don't like the results of the presidential election? How about you say thank you for little things like being able to gather as a church? We have so much to give thanks for. And it's so easy to overlook it all and look for the things that aren't going our way or don't happen the way that we want. And what you realize, if you set about this discipline of giving thanks in all circumstances for all things... You will have taught yourself an attitude of gratitude. If you truly give thanks in all circumstances, your attitude is going to change, and you're going to have an attitude for gratitude for all that God gives to you. And what will happen is you will be well on your way to 2021 being a year of joy because you realize how many things you have to be joyful for because at the end of the day, even if you don't like it and you're thankful for it, it's in God's hands, not yours. Verse 4, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. There's joy. Paul gets the opportunity to pray for these people. He gets the opportunity to intercede for them. He knows them, and he's thankful because he gets to do it with joy. Do you find joy when you pray, or is prayer a burden? Is prayer something you think you'll get to tomorrow? In the year ahead... As a congregation, we want to expand and grow what is already a very vital prayer ministry because anybody who's been around any church for very long will tell you that nothing godly or good happens in a church outside of a foundation in prayer. There's no such thing as Christians praying too much. There's no such thing at all. And so you're going to hear more about this in a little bit, but Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to pray. And so you can start by doing something about the message and say, thank you, God, that my church believes in prayer so much. They're giving us an opportunity to gather, not just Tuesday, but Wednesday, and then take advantage of it and do it. Say, thank you, God, that I get to pray. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now, God understands that that God-honoring ministry doesn't happen in personal silos. Paul understands that. Super-Christians trying to do all the work of a ministry area by themselves end up running out of gas, burning out, and hurting a lot of people. Ministry doesn't happen in personal silos all alone. And it doesn't involve super-Christians. What it does is involves a whole bunch of us ordinary people in partnership working together that God uses to spread the good news and to affect lives all around us. And and so how does it begin? Well, it's fueled by a, a personal enthusiasm for the privilege of being disciples of Jesus, realizing that there's joy that comes from ministry in bringing the gospel to the people of our area, to your family, to the people you work with. You don't have to, you get to. And then you get to say, thank you, God, that I got to tell somebody about you today. And this, verse 6, I love this one. 
And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God isn't done with you yet. God isn't done with me yet. And for that I say thank you. God's not done with me yet. He has started something in me that he has yet to complete. He has started something in you that he has not yet completed, but he will. When you lay down your will and you pick up the cause of the cross and lay down your life for Jesus... God begins something in you that he will complete in you. And it's the thing that he created you to be. And we can find joy in that. We can give thanks for that even if we don't always understand it. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way, Paul says, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the good news of the gospel. Paul's talking about being partners He's in prison, they're out living their life, and he still considers them partners. This guy can give joy in the middle of the worst circumstances, and he does. This isn't the only time. But he understands the importance of partnership. Uh, I had an old mentor who used to talk about the privilege of ministry. And the privilege of ministry is that when we're willing... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) That was a swallow wrong. That was not a COVID cough. (coughs) Why do I got to make that a clarification now? Wow. Um, He talked about the privilege of ministry, that when we give our will to God and and we go where God calls us to do, that we experience things that we'd never find or choose on our own. And he says, that's the privilege of ministry. And when we volunteer and when we help and when we step up and do what's not comfortable, when we live in God's will, not our own, God invites us to work with him in sharing of the good news of Jesus, and we see the power of the cross at work in people's lives that we might not otherwise have seen because we wouldn't have been there to share it. And one of the things that we need to make sure that we talk a lot about here is just that, that the good news of Jesus, his life, death, and the resurrection, the meaning and the power of the cross for our lives and salvation. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He's talking about growing in knowledge and understanding. The way that we partner with God in part is that we make the effort. We create a discipline of reading God's word and spending time in prayer with him. That's what we call working out our salvation in fear and trembling or fear and awe. We grow in our understanding of God's word. And when we do that, we grow in our understanding of God's will for our lives. You don't know what your ministry is. You say you don't have a ministry. You get into God's word and you begin to see yourself in there and it begins to be clear that you're wired and, and you have passions and interests and desires to do things for God in his church that are exactly what you were created to do. And there it is in God's word. You're going to get to understand not just who God is, but who you are. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. Other translations rephrase that this way. They say, understand what really matters. Have you come to terms with what really matters? See, I think so often Christian churches and pastors are happy to see people in church, and that's enough. But, you know, it isn't enough if we don't talk about what really matters. But you've got to make that decision for yourself. I know what really matters to me. But what really matters to you, I'm going to date myself, and some of you are going to come along on the ride with me. How many of you remember the movie City Slickers? Oh, come on now. There's more of you than that. You, There's nothing wrong with getting older. It's a privilege. 
There's this movie called City Slickers, and there's this guy named Billy Crystal that played a character named Mitch. And Mitch was this high, strong, I think he was an advertising executive from Manhattan. And to get away from his life and to just get out and do things a little bit different, he went to this dude ranch out west, and he met a guy named Curly. Jack Palance played Curly. And Curly was rough around the edges and tough. And, and they would have these conversations. And, and Mitch, the, the high-strung guy from Manhattan, really, he, he wanted to get away from his life. But more importantly, he wanted to find out the meaning of life. Because he'd gotten so busy in the hustle and the bustle that none of it really made sense anymore. And so he and Curly had a conversation one day, and, and the question is, what's the meaning of life? And so this, this old ranch hand, this old grizzled cowboy with a cigarette hanging from his mouth and a two small leather gloves, leather glove on says, the meaning of life is about one thing. The meaning of life is about one thing. And, and, and Mitch is looking at him like, yes. Finally, someone's going to tell me. He says, what is it? What's the thing? And Curly says, well, that's what you have to find out. And you know, as Christians, that's what you have to find out. You don't get to live on the coattails of someone else's faith. See, that's what Paul is here doing for us today, is he's reminding us of the one thing that really matters. The one thing that really matters is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The one thing that really matters is for each of us to accept God's free gift of salvation that is given to us in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and then keeping Jesus as the one thing for the rest of our lives as we live as disciples for him. As a Christian, that's the one thing. There's the meaning of life. I was brilliant when Curly said, you've got to figure it out for yourself. Because Mitch was as lost as ever, and he figured he found it in his own way. But as Christians, the answer to that question lies in God's Word. So have you figured out the one thing that really matters? Have you figured out the one thing that you were, you were created and put here on earth to do, and that's to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is living in contentment and other people seeing that contentment in you. It's knowing that you are living in God's will for your life and not having to look to fill your life with other things outside of God, not having to fill your life with the desires that you have, the wills and the wants. Contentment is knowing that God has already given us everything we need in this moment. God has given us everything that we need in Jesus Contentment is knowing that everything we're ever going to need today or tomorrow, God is going to provide for us. And when we've got that kind of contentment, it brings peace. And that peace produces joy. When we are in content, we are content in God's care. And we know that we are living a life that is thanks filled with joy. That we're about living for God's will for us, not our will for us. Our life becomes all about serving Jesus and serving others. I love that acronym for the word joy. Have you heard that one? Jesus, others, yourself. doesn't mean that you don't matter. It means that Jesus is what matters most. Serving Jesus, serving others, and then taking care of yourself. There's the right order. There's a godly and a biblical order. Talk about putting things in the right order. Jesus, others, and yourself. When we get that straight, then we start living for what we say really matters. Rather than just claiming it, we start living it. And our life becomes a life that really matters. 
And so what are we going to do with 2021? I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a book that's yet to be written. But you know what? You're the one with the pen in your hand. You get to fill in the pages. What if as a, as a church community, as a gathered group of people who believe in Jesus Christ and want to live for the world around us and spread the good news, what, what if we say 2021 is our year of joy? Our year of making first things first and being clear on what matters most and serving Jesus and serving others and then taking care of ourselves. That's why we have that phrase, love Jesus, love others, teach people to love Jesus, right? Love, love Jesus, love pe- <laughs> love Jesus, love people, teach people to love Jesus. I'm trying to combine the Bible with our mission statement. Love Jesus, love people, teach people to love Jesus. It's as simple as that, Jesus, others, ourselves. If we can get that straight and if we can find joy in it, 2021 is going to be an incredible year. It doesn't matter what happens in the world around us. God is still on his throne. Love Jesus. Love people. Teach people to love Jesus. Let's pray. (laughs) Oh, God, thanks that you always get things right even when I goof them up. God, thank you for Paul, for his love for this church and for this letter. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be brought into it. There's so much here that we can learn from, that we can grow from, that we can avoid making mistakes that we don't need to make, and we can live lives of thanksgiving and joy because of what Paul has for us. And God, I pray that you would put in us a a heart that would seek to do that. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would would work in us. And, And for anybody that doesn't know why they're here, that doesn't know that the most important thing in this life is for them to have a personal relationship with Jesus. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir in them and they would, they would understand that, they would get that straight. God, I pray that we as a congregation, that we, we, we wouldn't just be known for being alive, but that we would be known for being alive in you, for living for you. God, that, uh, that the, the way that we are in this world would be to be people who are out speaking about teaching, living, and showing the good news of Jesus alive in us. God, that, that's who we want to be. That, that's what the world needs. It's not more of us, but more of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.